Stavros, you've enjoyed an illustrious career in the world of entertainment. When did you first demonstrate an aptitude in performing and creative arts? I started singing before I was born, probably bothering my mom, you know, sort of. <laughs> but I never had, uh, I never intended to become a professional. That came after the war in Cyprus. Uh, I had to make a living very, very fast. We had no money, we lost our property in Karini and so on. I was so fortunate to be discovered by Alpi Fender, the biggest producer in South Africa, who owned um, a film studio, television studio. He owned EMI, Brigadiers and so on. He heard a couple of my songs and my career took off, you know. Throughout your career, you've written, composed, produced, and directed several musicals around the world, including Greece, South Africa, and Las Vegas. And you were even commissioned by Queen Elizabeth II. How have your eclectic works helped revitalize musical theater? The first friend I had, producer, was Fidias Loisidis. Fidias introduced me to Albi Fender. Albi Fender, from the songs I had written, um, he asked me to write for him. Actually, he was filming Gold with Roger Moore at the time. And he gave me a screenplay. He said, Stavros, you don't know it, but you're an amazing writer. Write for me. And he, he saw that from the songs that I had written that we've made into an album called It's Been 2000 Years, which was very much ahead of its time. Um, so he gave me a screenplay and he said, write me a screenplay. Three months later, I get a phone call from South Africa, from Alpi Fender, and he says to me, Stavro, do you have a visa to go to America? I said, no, why? He said, well, I got you $50,000 from Paramount Pictures. They love your screenplay. I almost died. I mean, I was poor as hell at the time. You know, I was trying to survive. And then Alpi Fender, not only that, he said to me, I want you to write me a rock opera. And I wrote The Archon. We co-wrote it with Loris Yuriadis, a Cypriot composer, a very famous composer. It was absolutely amazing. I couldn't believe my eyes when it was staged finally in 1979. I loved singing. Once I started getting paid, once I became a professional singer, I hated it. And I think the Archon, my first rock opera, was the way out. I realized that I am not cut for the lights. I'd rather um, sit and create. The Archon was about Cyprus. The Archon was about the resentment I had when I found myself in Kyrenia when Turks were coming to kill us. My anger was against Kissinger at the time and Nixon, who was in his own mess with the Watergate scandal. And they did nothing to prevent the Turks invading Cyprus, whereas uh, LBJ Johnson in 63 and 67 stopped the Turks. So my anger was uh, for the people, for the Archons, the people that had the authority to do something they didn't. So the idea was to take the power away from me. I love writing, I love composing, and I love the musical theater. It's so creative, it's, it's so challenging, because it's not just coming up with an idea, it's writing the lyrics, writing the libretto, and making sure the music is there, making sure in the music there's enough songs, or just one song that is gonna mesmerize the people and become a hit. That made me decide to give an end to my singing career. The Queen of England was to come to Cyprus with 47 heads of state for the Commonwealth Conference. And the government came to me like one month prior to the Queen coming and said, Stavro, we need you to do the gala dinner. And in four weeks, I had to write the libretto, compose the music, go to Greece, orchestrate, get in the studio. I had Anna Vichy find a small symphony orchestra, orchestrate, record, come back, uh, uh, produce and direct the show. 
In four weeks. All this happened in four weeks. And I said yes. You maintain a level-headed, professional approach to directing while managing to keep an experienced and understanding eye toward the more aesthetic and creative goals of a production. Take us through the process from inspiration to implementation. It's not just talent. Obviously, I must have the talent needed to proceed. You need to have many, many other things. You need to have audacity. You need to f have perseverance. I mean, the interview with the Dektash, uh, 40 years, the Turkish leader had not given an interview to anybody. He gave one to me. Why? And I think this is a lesson to any budding artist, journalist, uh, anybody pursuing a career. The fact that I, um, I had the audacity to believe that I was going to interview Dektash, when everybody was telling all the journalists, even the head of the TV station, the owner of the TV station, laughed at me. And my conversation with Dektash was very friendly. This is who I am. And I did give him an opportunity to project his own persona because I told him that everybody hates you. I hate you. And actually during the interview, I said to him, you know, Mr. Dektash, I'm beginning to like you. I'm wondering what I'm doing wrong because he was coming out very friendly. He was telling me about hunting and about that he stopped hunting because he loves birds. And I knew that he had parrots uh, in his garden and so on. And, and this is when I told him that I'm beginning to like you. And I said, but now that we're talking about something so sensitive, let's talk about something really sensitive. Let's talk about the missing people of Cyprus. There's 1,619 people missing. And right now we're being watched by families, by the mothers, the brothers, the sisters, you know, of these people, the wives and the children. Um, can we give hope to maybe the 10, 50, 100 of these missing people are still alive? And he kind of did his Dengtash propaganda and started talking and I let him talk, I think it was like four and a half minutes without interrupting. And then when he finished, he said, Mr. Dengtash, I said to him, I let you talk for about God knows how long without interrupting, but I don't buy a word you said. And you know why? Because on the 7th of August, I was in Labithus and I saw my friends surrendering to the Turkish invading army. And you have two options. One is to acknowledge that they're still alive, that they are captured, that they're prisoners of war, and that they're somewhere in prison, either in Cyprus or in Turkey. Your other option is to acknowledge and accept that they have been massacred by the Turkish invading army. And then he said, yes, mistakes were made. And I said, are you acknowledging that they were massacred in cold blood by the Turkish invading army? And he said, yes, mistakes were made. You are currently developing your screenplay, Poets Never Die, based on your award-winning book of the same name. What was the inspiration behind this captivating story? My motivation was to tell the story of Cyprus uh, in the 1955-1959, the struggle of independence. But I knew as a writer that I needed to plot a story. So I came up with the idea of Poets Never Die. The daughter of the head of MI6 in Cyprus, her name was Elizabeth, uh, fell in love with this young boy who went on to become a freedom fighter or uh, a terrorist in the British mind. So there's the confrontation. And I'm telling the story. So he finds out this Elizabeth, now she's living in London, she's close to 70 years old. And uh, he finds uh, and, and asks her to, to help him write his book. And Elizabeth uh, 
does kind of uh, start telling the story. And it's fascinating because we have the story being told from three different angles. One is from Beth. So she's representing the British and the policy of the British. And whenever she's mentioning even her lover, Orestes, she talks about him being a terrorist. We have the story from uh, the trader's point of view, who was part of the revolution. And he was a freedom fighter at the time, before he betrayed his people. And we have the journalist who has to do his homework and make sure that he puts the Turkish point of view and uh, the politics point of view. And so it's very fascinating as a historical document, but the plot is a love story. So it becomes international. It's Romeo and Juliet. What are your hopes and aspirations for 2021? I am still a very ambitious artist. I think I need to live like five lives to fulfill my aspirations that I set up when I started in this career because, as I said, I came in by accident, you know, I needed to sing to make a living. But I have found something that um, fills my heart in a way, and that's charisma. Four years ago, I was approached by the mother of a 14-year-old girl who has no kind of uh, reality. She's uh, mentally retarded and she cannot talk. And this girl can sing. She starts singing. I was very moved. And the mother said to me, can we help her? And um, I had the girl sing live for the first time in the presentation of my book. It was theater, 400 people. And they were all crying. She was amazing. So that was the kind of uh, the spark that we needed to create charisma. And what I'm doing right now is, uh, is helping people like uh, Nefeli, kind of uh, charismatic people, artists with a disability. I give them a platform. And I'm very proud to have put this together with Katerina, Nefeli's mother. And now we have like over 50 children. And we're doing beautiful things to help these artists. It's absolutely amazing and I'm very, very proud of it. I think it's one of the proudest things I've done in my life.